Today, I want to talk to you about our ideological neighbors and how you can love your ideological neighbors. And you say, well, what's that? Your ideological neighbor is anyone who is religiously, culturally, or politically different than you. We're going to read Acts chapter 28. So if you have a Bible, turn it to that. But before I do, I want to talk about why it is so important for us to be able to have thoughtful conversation and friendships with our ideological neighbors. More than any other time in history, and for those living in Houston, more than most other cities in the world, you should think carefully about how to connect with your ideological neighbors. Here's why. Because they are everywhere you go. The Muslim lives next door to the Buddhist. The Democrat works in the office next to the Republican. The pro-life advocate and the pro-choice advocate both have kids on the same team. The foreign-born lives next to the person born in America. The Christian is in the same running group as the atheist. We live in Houston, Texas, and we have four kids in three different schools. We're located near the center of the city. And every time I attend an event at any of their schools, I'm reminded that we live in a diverse community. I see families from every part of the world with parents that I'm sure have very different kinds of backgrounds at all of these events. Whether or not you want to see it, the same is true for you. You're going to encounter people daily that you can count as your ideological neighbor. So this talk isn't just for those that have a heart to love the nations. This is the kind of talk that applies to every single person listening. I want for you to know how to love your neighbor. This is the question. How do I connect with ideological neighbors since I am inseparably linked with them where I live, work, and play? We need God to be our guide on this one. I, as a Christian, believe that God has spoken to us through his word. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Acts chapter 28 as we seek the answer to this question, how do I connect with my ideological neighbors? As I mentioned, we're going to be in Acts chapter 28. So Acts chapter 28 is the last chapter in a part of the New Testament that tells the story of the spread of Christianity in the first century. We pick up in the story where Paul, who is a significant leader in the early days of Christianity, he has been illegally arrested and brought as a prisoner from Jerusalem to Rome. And in the passage, the way that Paul talks to his ideological neighbors, we find an answer to this question of how we can connect and become friends with our ideological neighbors. So here's Paul. He's in Rome. He's been accused by the Jews of stirring up rebellion against Caesar by claiming that Jesus is king. He's going to be in Rome in this house in chains for two years. And this house is guarded by a Roman officer. But there's some flexibility he is allowed to have visitors. And so while he's awaiting his trial, the Jewish leaders in Rome come to meet with him. Now, this is a group of people who represent religious leaders in Jerusalem who wanted to have him killed. They are his ideological neighbors. They think very differently about how a person can be reconciled to God than Paul now thinks because of Jesus. So we pick up in Acts chapter 28, verse 17. 
It says, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. This is interesting. Paul has been mistreated by Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and should expect for these Jewish leaders to treat him poorly also. He has every right to believe that because of a previous treatment by religious leaders, he was going to be mistreated again by this group. And it's fascinating to see that Paul initiates conversation with his enemies. You might feel like your ideological neighbor is your enemy, but Paul sets an example. And we see step one in connecting and becoming friends with our ideological neighbors. Although risky, we must initiate connection with these kinds of neighbors. I have some friends that don't believe like I do about how a person can be reconciled to God. They certainly don't believe that Jesus is God. I have one friend who's an atheist and he believes that there is no God. And I remember the early days of our friendship where this connection felt so risky. And one reason it felt risky for me is that on more than one occasion, I've been dismissed or laughed at because of my Christian faith. And what I soon discovered is that he felt the same risk to let me initiate conversation with him because of the way that other Christians had treated him. My atheist friend and I continue to risk connection today for a friendship that is really deepening. I'm grateful that we've remained friends long enough to discover that there are atheists and Christians who aren't total jerks. But I don't think that we've become friends just to have another friend. Instead, I do believe that God put us together as friends because he wants to do something in our hearts. This is true for Paul. So we read on in Acts chapter 18 and verse 17. It says, and when they had gathered, he said to them, so Paul speaks to them. He's about to share with them a part of his story. He says, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Verse 18. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. This is Paul explaining to these Jewish leaders in Rome what the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem had done to him. He's telling his story. Look at verse 19. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. This is why he was brought to Rome. He's going to stand trial before Caesar under the accusation that he's trying to overthrow Caesar as king by claiming that Jesus is king. Paul is telling his story. It's not his entire story, but it is the part of the story that interests these ideological neighbors. You know, your ideological neighbors might not agree with what you believe, but they cannot change the story of how you came to believe. And what Paul did often was he would tell his story of coming to faith in Jesus as the Savior, and that would be the grouping or the the roots of him telling and explaining what he believes about who Jesus is. This gives us step two. We must share and listen to each other's stories. Something interesting happened to me last year. I was invited to this retreat with 10 other Christian pastors, 10 Jewish rabbis, and 10 Muslim imams. We met not to dismiss the differences of our faith, but so that we could better understand how to love those with different religious ideologies. One part that stands out as extra special in my mind was we were separated into groups of three. It was me, 
an imam and a rabbi. Sounds like the beginning of a joke, right? (laughs) Um, Well, for two hours, we simply shared our stories of coming to faith and the story of our calling into leadership. I felt so connected to these men as I listened to their stories, and I felt so connected to them as they were willing to listen to mine. You know, as a Christian, I've not always been great at listening to how others have come to think like they do. I'm always ready to tell people what I think, but I've not always been great about listening. But I'm learning that it is essential in any effort to connect with my ideological neighbors. They expect me to tell them what I believe, but they're surprised when I listen to the story of how they came to believe. We must share and listen to each other's stories. So in Acts chapter 28, we're in verse 20, where we're going to find step three to connecting with our ideological neighbors. Here it is. We must talk intelligently about our beliefs. I want you to notice that in his effort to connect, Paul did not ignore their obvious differences. Look at the passage. He says, It is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. He's talking about Jesus, who he believes is the Israelites' uh, hope for a Messiah. He's not setting this essential doctrine of his faith aside in order to connect. Paul, as a Christian, had a very different understanding of salvation than these Jewish leaders. Not all differences matter, but some do. If your neighbor is a Muslim and you are a Christian, you both have a very different understanding of how to be at peace with God. You don't have to dismiss that difference. Or if you're a Democrat and your coworker is a Republican, there are important differences in your politics. I can make the list longer, but you get the point. The differences do matter, and ignoring the differences will only hinder the connection with your ideological neighbor. You must be true to what you believe and be willing to humbly and authentically share what you believe and why you believe it. Paul was able to explain his beliefs intelligently, which is a challenge for all of us. Look at verse 20. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. In verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Paul did not set aside his most deeply held beliefs. It would be untrue or inauthentic for us to enter into conversations with our ideological neighbors and dismiss or set aside our most deeply held beliefs. But whenever you're sharing what you believe, You cannot enter into an eternally significant conversation with a poorly informed belief. I say this only because the research shows, and this is speaking specifically to those of you that are Christians, the research shows that most Christians are biblically illiterate. We look foolish to enter into these conversations with people that do not believe like we do and be unable to talk intelligently about the faith we claim is so important to us. We say our faith is so important but yet we can't even talk about it. That's a problem. The next step, we must talk intelligently about what we believe. 
This is what Paul is doing as he's talking to these Jewish leaders. He's talking to them and trying to convince them to believe what he believes about who Jesus is. And look at verse 24. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. This is step four. We must trust God with the results. This is so hard. And it's possibly the most important step to building a relationship with your ideological neighbor. You cannot change someone's mind. You can make reasonable arguments with well-thought ideas about what you believe, but only God can use your words to make somebody believe. And this is why it's so frustrating at times. This is sometimes why we get angry when people do not believe like we do, because we want to take responsibility that is only theirs and God's for them believing. So here's Paul. He's in Rome. People are visiting him for two years, and he invites and welcomes anybody that wants to come and talk to him. He tells a story. He explains his beliefs intelligently. He cares about connecting with his ideological neighbors. He did not use a past experience, a bad experience with this kind of a neighbor to keep him from wanting to initiate relationship. He did it, which gives us four steps. So the passage in Acts 28 provides for us four steps to authentic connection with our ideological neighbors. I wanna list them again for you in closing, but with each one, I'm going to give you an actual step that you can take to move towards loving your neighbor in this way. First step, we must initiate connection with our ideological neighbors. An action step would be make a list of three types of people. Someone from a different religion, someone from a different political party, and someone from a different culture. And if you can't think of anybody to put on that list, then set a reminder for yourself daily on your phone to help you to remember to pray daily that God would bring this kind of a person into your life. They are all around you. They're your neighbors, your coworkers, they're the people whose kids play on your child's team. They're all around you. Step two. We must share and listen to each other's stories. Here's a really easy action step. I want you to ask someone on that list this question. How are you? How can I help? And then listen. Don't try to fix their problem right away. Don't try to solve whatever situations come up. Ask more questions. Listen to their story. It'll surprise them and it'll be a great ministry to them and a way to love them. Step three. We must talk intelligently about our beliefs. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to Google The Bible Project on YouTube. This is a collection of resources, and it's the best I've seen in a long time to help everyone understand the basics of the Christian faith. It is a great start for you to be able to talk intelligently about the Christian faith. It, you must be able to do that. We look foolish as Christians when we can't articulate the simple doctrines of the Christian faith. It's important to us, so we must put in the work to learn it. Step four, we must trust God with the results. You know, God's word gives us a four-step plan for connecting with our ideological neighbors. And maybe you're like me and you feel like you've fallen short. You know, the awareness that we haven't always been loving to our ideological neighbors is an opportunity for us to recognize our need for a savior. We have all fallen short of God's standard for righteousness. And the unique thing about the Christian faith is that we would say that there's nothing we can do to make up for the times that we fall short. 
Instead, the good news is that God has made a way for our sin to be forgiven by sending Jesus to die on a cross and pay the penalty for our sin. There's no amount of works that you can do that will earn your salvation. This is the good news of the Christian faith. God has made a way for you to reconcile, for you to be reconciled to him through faith in Christ. If you want to talk about this or if you have questions about Christianity or if there's some way that we can help you, then I want for you to just take a couple of minutes and fill out the connect card. There'll be a link in the comments of whatever place you're watching this video. We want to help you and connect with you. And for all of us, we're going to invite you to this time of response through the taking of the Lord's Supper, confession of sin and prayer, and then also singing another song.